feel like today's one of those days and I have so much in me that God has given me to say. I don't know if I, I have time to say it. I don't know if I have the words to say it. So bear with me. I trust that the Holy Spirit's called our helper, right? He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's the one called alongside us. Father, I just pray right now that you would settle me. Lord, I ask that your word would come out of my mouth the way that you want it to. You would change lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So I asked uh, some of my team this week asked some, or actually yesterday, I've asked some random people uh, uh, open-ended questions. Open-ended questions are dangerous. And the reason I'm not going to ask this open-ended question live today is because, A, I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> and we won't have enough delay to bleep out maybe one or two words that probably shouldn't be said. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the question, and then you think about it, I'll supply the answer. So as I was reading through this week, I, I told you last week was the first time ever I preached from an entire chapter. I, I taught through the chapter of Colossians 2, and I went on to Colossians chapter 3. It's really a continuation of 2. And my wife said, why do you, do you never preach from Colossians? It, it's actually one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. A lot of, a lot of doctrine. It, it really lines up a lot with Ephesians. You see a lot of similarities. So... Um, I really want to just look at the first four verses and start out with the first 11. I think we're just, we're going to look at the first four. But the title of my, my message today is, This is Your Life. This, and we're going, to, we're going to have to define what this is. But this is your life. And so the question I want to pose to you, and I, I asked uh, some of the team to, to go out and ask some answers. And after we got through the Christianese and all the, you know, what's the question? Can we go to it? I want you to, don't, don't say a word. But I want you to fill in the blank. Right now, like right now, my life is, I said don't say a word. We're, we're going to have a tough time today. I've got a lot to say. You've got to work with me. So if I say, don't say anything, don't say anything. If I say, say something. All right. So the first, one of the funniest responses we got, have you, ever, have you ever discovered something in your life and you think you have just discovered the, the theory of relativity like it's never been discovered before? Like it's new. And you're like, wow, I must be the first person to ever hear this or think of this. And then you find out everybody in the world knew but you. So one of the answers I got back was this, and I, I didn't even know how to phrase it. The answer was, my life be like ooh-ah. And then I found out it was, my life be like ooh-ah. My life be like ooh-ah. I, I, this is 15 years old. I've never heard this song. 
I've never heard this song. And I thought, well, is it a good song or is it a bad song? Because it could have a bunch of, here it's a Christian song. So I'm telling this to Pastor Phil this morning, and he's like, wait, that's a Christian song? He goes, I, I used to listen to that back in the day. All I ever heard was ooh and ah. My life be like ooh and ah. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a terrible life. That that's all your life is, is ooh and ah. But if you, if you go through the words, that song actually talks about the blood of Christ cleansing you. So God, I, actually got, I told Phil, I said, probably God was sowing seeds in your heart you didn't even know were being sown 10 years ago. And so you're listening to this thinking it's a, a, a gangster song, and here it's a, a Christian song. <laughs> but here, here's a couple that, uh, that maybe, maybe ring true. My life is stressful. My life is chaotic. My life stinks. My life sucks. My life is tired. My life, why bother? My life is difficult. My life, uh, yeah, no. My life can only go up from here. At least there's a positive ring to that, right? I, I got no, I'm, you, you got to be pretty bad if you got nowhere to go but up. But I'm going to show you today, you got nowhere to go but down. My life would be better if it were a musical slapstick comedy. My life is like a really bad haircut. Hopefully it will get better with time. And then the ones the team first send me, I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? Answer, and they say, well, my life is complete. My life is committed. My life, my I said I wouldn't say any names, but I'm going to tell them my wife. She says, my life is spirit-filled. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Hi, baby. I know you're in Tulsa. I love you. My life is a redemptive story. My life is a extraordinary and awesome. My life is full of wonder. My life is a testament to God's unfailing love, mercy, and grace. I said, those weren't the answers I was looking for because you guys already know the answer. You know who you are. Well, today, I want today's message to be like ooh and ah. I want it to be like that song that you discover and think you're the first one that's ever heard this for some of you. And for other of you, oh yeah, I forgot about that song. It's a really good one. I can't get it out of my head now. It's really bad, actually. Like, that's all like, I, I was stuck on Honey and a Rock. Now I'm stuck on the Oohs and the Ahs. I just like, oh, come on. Okay. I, I'm having a hard enough time getting it out. The way that you answer that question tells me it's something. Go to the next slide. It reveals the perspective from which you view life, and it reveals the reality that you actually live from. See, the reality that you're more aware of is the reality where you actually live. Let me read you a story. You guys like stories? On the same day, when evening had come, he said, let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats also with him. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they woke him up saying, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and it was, there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I'm not saying the things that you go through are not real. But the things you go through are an inferior, inferior reality to the reality of Christ. And when you live from an inferior reality, you end up begging God to come into your situation to fix it. See, it's not that God won't. But wouldn't it be cool if God actually wanted to do something through you instead of just for you? He just might want to do that. See, there's a difference between living in the reality of the storm and saying, Jesus! But when you do that the next 20 years, you haven't grown anywhere. See, there's a difference between living in that reality and living in the reality of the storm, understanding where you actually are in Christ and speaking to the storm yourself. See, it's not that Jesus won't come rescue you, but sometimes I think the goal in the Christian life is not for him to just do it for you, but to do it through you. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to live through you. He wants his life that's already in your life to be demonstrated to the world. And he's, in, he's equipped us to do it. So let's look at this. I don't know if we'll get past the first few verses. We'll see how it goes. Let's look. I want to look at uh, NIV, and then I want to look at the NLT translations, because they give a little different understanding of the passage. The NIV says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is what? Your life. Appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the phrase I could not get out of my head this week. It actually wasn't who, ah, it's that Christ is my life. So you could say all those things, my life is complete, my life is great, my life is awesome, my life is now fulfilled, my, my, my life is a testimony, my life is all those things, but you could sum them up in one word, my life is Christ. My life is Christ. It says, go back, it says you died. Bunch of dead people here today. Do you know you died? Do you know why you struggle with the realities of the world? See, it's possible to actually not have the realities of the world affect your day-to-day -day life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to live like Jesus actually lived? Do you know, Jesus, when he came to the earth, it, it wasn't just so he could display 
how to live as a man filled with the Holy Spirit to do the miraculous. That was, he did that. But he also came, emptied himself of all his God characteristics, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and actually lived a life that we could pattern our lives after. I'm growing in this. Because don't we tend to let the realities of this world affect our day-to-day life? Oh my gosh. I mean, imagine Jesus, right? Oh my gosh, i got to preach to 5,000 people tomorrow. I don't have a message. What am I going to do? Oh, are you kidding me? i got to hang out with those 12 knuckleheads again tonight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I didn't finish that table in my dad's workshop. <laughs> oh, how am I going to get that done? Jesus walked around life with ease. He didn't stress about the next message. He didn't stress about taxes being due. He didn't stress about the the table that needed a shellac putting on it. He didn't stress about having to deal with all the idiosyncrasies of of the disciples. Because he lived from a different reality. It actually impacted the way he lived life day to day. Wouldn't it be cool if you could live that way too? You can. You really can. You're dead. What you going to do? Anybody ever said this? You're a dead man. Anybody ever said that to you? What you going to do? What you going to do? I'm already dead. You can't hurt me. You can't offend me. You can't steal from me. Why? I'm dead. How are you going to hurt a dead man? You guys alive or dead today? You better be alive but dead. See, when you get church hurt, don't blame the church. And I'm not saying it's not real. I'm saying if your reality was anchored in a different reality, the fact that somebody said something to you wouldn't actually offend you. Look in the mirror. Everybody wants to blame somebody else, but I want to encourage you to set your sights on a different reality that allows you to live beyond offense, that allows you to live beyond hurt, that allows you to live beyond day-to-day worries and anxieties. It's possible. It is truly possible. The NLT says it this way. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Remember last week we talked about shadow versus reality? It says, don't let anybody judge you in festivals and holy days, Sabbaths, new moons, all that stuff, because those things are just a shadow, but the substance, the reality is Jesus Christ. He goes on in chapter 1, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. For you died to this life, and look at this, your real life, the life you're living here, this isn't the real life. There's more to life than than just living and breathing on earth. There's a reality that exists beyond day-to-day life here. And you can tap into it. And that reality can affect this one. 
I'm not talking about mind over matter. I'm not talking about, oh, that's just name it and claim it. I'm not talking about faking it to you. No, fake it. I don't need to fake it because I've already made it. I don't need to fake anything. I've been made new. You've been made new. That is a reality. The Greeks had, uh, they had three words for life. So we have one word for life. Life, right? Anybody think of another word for life? No, we got one. So they had three words. They had the word bios, bios, bios. It would have to do with physical life. Think of the word biology, the study of life. They had the word suke, which is where we get the word psychology, which has to do with the soul life having to do with mind, will, and emotions. And then they had the third word. So you're born with those first two, right? When you're born physically, you're born with a physical body. You're born with a soul. You have a mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit is born dead. It's born separated from God. And when you receive Jesus and you become a new person, you now get Zoe life. Zoe life is the very life of God. It's the eternal life. It's the divine life. When Jesus said, he actually used all three. Uh, he said uh, about physical life. You guys remember the, the story of the, the sowing of the seeds? He said one, one seed was, or some seed was sown among thorns. And when it grew up, the thorns choked it out because of the cares of this world, because of the deceitfulness of riches, and because of the pleasures of Life, bios. Jesus used the word suke when he said, um, he said this in Matthew 16. He said, if you want to gain your life, suke, you have to lose it. And if you lose your life, you'll gain it. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That word soul and life are actually the same word, suke. But Jesus talked about a different life to Nicodemus. You know that life? He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting zoe. See, the truth is you have some sort of everlasting life now because you're going to live eternally somewhere. You're going to live forever somewhere. But the life, the nature, the divine life of God is imparted to you at salvation. Jesus says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they might have life, Zoe life, and might have it more abundantly. Jesus says when he's praying in John 17, he says, this is life eternal. So he defines what eternal life is. So eternal life is not going to heaven. That's a, that happens. But eternal life starts the day you get saved. He says, this is life eternal, that they may know you, speaking of the Father, and Jesus whom you've sent. Eternal life is actually having a relationship knowing Jesus. It starts now. He says you can have it right now. But what happens is we're more aware of what's here instead of what's there. So three things I want to talk about today. I want to talk about heavenly perspective, heavenly position, and a heavenly promise. Heavenly perspective, 
a heavenly position and a heavenly promise. What's perspective? Let me put it to you in uh, 2020 jargon. POV. Anybody know what POV is? My, how many ever seen this picture? My current POV. Right? And you see somebody's ugly toes and then you see an ocean. Like, just let me see the ocean. I don't want to see your nasty toes. I don't want to see your knobby knees. You just ruined the picture. But people do it all the time. My current POV. Paul says we need to have a POV not rooted here, but rooted there. So you need to be anchored in something that's actually real. Here's what happens a lot of times. Well, let me save that for later. I think we'll come back to that. That's a, that's a rabbit trail, but maybe we'll come back to it. Let's read this verse. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now he tells us. So what are we doing? Is this mm, heaven? Mm, heavenly things? Mm. Ooh, ah. He actually tells us what to think on. He says, since... Actually, the New King James says if. If you notice in the NIV and NLT, it actually translates it correctly. It's not if you've been risen with Christ. The reality is that you died and you rose with Him. And since, not if, since you have risen with Christ, then you need to seek things that are above where Christ is. What's He doing? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And so he says, because, because you've been raised, you went from here to here. You rose with Christ, but your head's still in the garbage can down here. And he says, you need to get your head where your spirit is. See, remember, you've got three parts to you. Spirit, soul, and body. Bios, suke, and zoe. And where your suke is, where your head is, where your attention is, the thing that you renew your mind to is where your body's going to go. If I set my affection on the realities of heaven, my body's going to follow along. Remember I told you last week, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The opposite's true too. Don't walk in the Spirit and you will fulfill the desires of the flesh. You're like, well, I just can't quit. Well, start renewing your mind to a reality more than the reality you're actually living in day to day. He says, set your mind, seek. Seek and and set your mind are really a very similar word. Seek means to pursue, to go after. It actually means to pursue mentally. Set your mind means to the things you think about, the things that you're setting your attention to. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says this. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their mind where? According to the things of the flesh. Duh. And those who set their mind according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
If I set my mind on fleshly things, guess what I'm going to do? Your life is going the direction of your thoughts. If I set my mind on things of the Spirit, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live according to the Spirit. It's like a seesaw. When one goes down, the other goes up. And when the other goes down, the other goes up. It's just, it can't be both. If you're setting your mind to the things of the Spirit, you're not going to do those things that you don't want to do. But when you start thinking about the things you don't want to do, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do those things. And so he says, I want you to set, I want you to seek things above where Christ is. Now, Christ is in you because he's in you in the form of the Holy or the person of the Holy Spirit, but he's also seated in the heavenlies. It says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So I just want to talk for a few minutes about the realities of Christ being seated. We touched on it a little bit last week. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. It starts out, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke unto the fathers in time past by the prophets. Verse 2 says this, but now in this present time has spoken to us through his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and by whom he also made the world, who being the express image of his person, in the exact representation of his nature, once he had purged sins by himself, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. That's what Jesus did. And so when you think about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father... I want you to remember that your sins have been completely purged. Your sins have been completely cleansed. So the first thing that Paul wants you to think about is that you are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God. You have been made new. Your sins have been wiped out. Your slate is clean. You stand before a holy God righteous. Can't be judged. Can't be condemned. I am right with God because Jesus, once and for all, took his blood and cleansed my slate. You might live a little different if you set your mind on that one thing. If I came into your house right now and said, give me all your bills. Ah, here you go. <laughs> right? I see a bunch of hands going. I'm not going to, but if I did. That, that's an if-then statement. Since you've been raised, that was a statement of fact. If I did, and I said, okay, I'm, gonna, not, I'm not only paying your bills, but I'm going to give you a bank account large enough that you will never exhaust it till the day you die. How would you feel? How you like me now? How you like me now? Do you know that that's what Jesus did? Jesus didn't just pay for your sin, He gave you credit. He's paid for every sin that you'll ever commit, the ones that you even haven't done yet. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 say this. 
It says every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take sins. Old covenant. Kill an animal, apply the blood. Kill an animal, apply the blood. Kill an animal. Oh, I've got to pay for my sin. Oh, better, I've got to offer one for me. Now I've got to offer one for Drew. Oh, Whitney just screwed up. I'm killing one. Oh, Don just messed up. I'm never out of a job. It is the best job to never get fired from. Like, if you want job security, be an Old Testament priest. If you qualify. you got to be elite. You know, there's a bunch of things you got to do. Jesus is the only high priest that ever worked himself out of a job. It says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... He sat down. And I told you last week, the reason he sat down wasn't because he was tired. Woo! Boy, that cross, that just took it out of me. Woo! That resurrection took the wind right out of me when the Holy Spirit brought me back from the dead. I just better rest up here for a few millennia. No! He sat down because he was done. See, he not only paid your sin, but he's finished paying for sin. He's resting because his work is done. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, 10, it says, There remains a rest for the people of God, for those, who be, have, for those that enter into his rest have ceased from their work the same way he did from his. That the same way God rested on the seventh day. This is what he's praying for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. That your eyes being enlightened, you might know what is the hope of your calling, what is the, inherit, what is the glory of His inheritance in the saints. His inheritance is in you. And then he goes on to say, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us, the same power that He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Don't we always talk about that? That, that? that Jesus has put in us the same power, the very same power that did what? Brought Jesus from the dead. You know what I saw this week? There's an and in that verse. I never saw it before. And. What's and mean? There's something else. See, when we... When I, I love the resurrection. Jesus brought, brought me from death to life. God raised Jesus from the dead. But do you realize the resurrection was a one-time miracle? It happened on a day. Jesus was raised through the power of the Holy Spirit from the dead. But there's an and. There's more power than just what brought Jesus back from the dead. It says, and did what? Seated Him. Next slide. At the right hand in heavenly places. Do you realize this? That the power to raise Jesus from the dead happened once, but the power to seat Him in heavenly places is forever? You ought to renew your mind to that. That's power. It says He seated Him, not just for a couple days, but forever. Seated Him far above. Where are we to renew our mind to? It says, set your sights above on things not on earth. Seated him far above principalities, powers, 
might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He's seated forever. Why should that matter? What's he seated above? Well, you know what? I know what that word says, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. Part of me doesn't care what you're going through right now, but a part of me does. The part of me that does is called compassion. The part of me that doesn't is called that Jesus is sitting above that thing. And you're living from a lesser reality right now with your thumb in your mouth. My Bible says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead brought Him from death to life And that same power seated Him at the right hand of the Father for all time, above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, in this age and in the age to come. So you bring me a disease, you bring me an issue, you bring me a condition and end down there. I challenge you to do it. I have any takers. There isn't one. There isn't one. There's nothing in your life that Jesus isn't seated above. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my mother did to me as a kid. You don't know my daddy left. I get that. I'm sorry. Life sucks sometimes. But that's not life. There's a life greater than that life. You've anchored your emotions and your affections and your mind in a wrong reality. See, here's the fact. The day that you get saved, what's next? I was leading right into that. Imagine that. So it's one thing to have a point of view. See, I can have a point of view from right here in the front row. And I can see Jesus in my mind seated at the right hand of the Father. I can see it. It's another point of view to realize that I've been seated in Christ and with Christ. And instead of looking down up, I'm looking up down. See, that's a different point of view. Anybody ever played virtual reality games? I bet you play them every day of your life and don't know it. See, here's what happens is the reality of the day, Paul says this, he says, what's the next slide? Let's, let, we should read Scripture. I think Scripture is better than anything i got to say. It says, you died... Your life is hidden. Where's your life hidden at? Your life. You died with Christ. You were risen with Christ. You were seated with Christ. You were made alive with Christ. And now your life 
isn't down on the corner of Virginia Avenue. Your life is hidden in Christ. That's what God's word says. That word hidden means to be kept secret, to be kept secure, to be to be kept out of view. That word hidden is in the perfect passive tense, which I love because perfect means it was done once for all time, never to be repeated again. Passive means you ain't got nothing to do with it. It means somebody else did it on your behalf. Who would that be? Oh, Jesus. If I'm hidden in him once and for all time, guess what? I ain't coming out. I'm not coming out. Next slide. Here's the best news. Ephesians 1 says that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand, right? Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together. Remember, Colossians 1, 3, 1 starts out, since you've been risen. This is a, you've already done this. Raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But here, here's the average Christian. This is, a, this is the fact. You're there. Jesus is there. You're there. The same power that raised him from the dead, the same power that made you alive, the same power that seated him has seated you. You're in him, in Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But here's the average Christian. They got their virtual reality goggles on sitting at the right hand of the Father. I went to my wife's in Tulsa today, so it reminded me that last time I was in Tulsa, my brother-in-law gave me some virtual reality goggles. Now, if you haven't done that, you've got to do this. Because when you put on, he goes, put these on. I'm like, oh, it's just a kid's game. He's like, no, really, put them on. I'm like, ah, stuff's for, you know, I'm not into games. I'm not a gamer. So I put them on. He's like, I'm like, whoa. I'm actually standing on the top of a thousand foot building in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting, I don't like heights. I'm getting sick. I got, like, I'm sweating. And I'm, I'm backing up, and everybody's laughing, and I take my goggles off, and I'm standing on solid ground. But see, because I'm looking at a virtual reality, the thing that I'm looking at and I'm anchoring my, my sight into affects my feelings. And all of a sudden, I begin to live in reaction to the thing I see instead of living in the reaction of what I'm actually standing on. And here we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Down here, oh, I'm so sick. Oh my gosh, can't pay my bills. Oh my gosh, my wife's going to leave me. I get it. Those things are real. I'm not denying the reality of those. I'm just saying they're an inferior reality.
So what happens when I'm down here and I get into a mess? What, what did the disciples do when they were in the boat? Jesus! Right? And I said he would, but he'd rather go through you than do it for you. If I'm allowing the situation that I'm in to dictate me calling on Jesus, what has more influence in my life, that issue or Jesus? What's the motivation in my life then? The issue. Wouldn't it be better if there was a different way to do it? Wouldn't it be better if there was a different point of view I could take? Wouldn't it be better if I realized that Jesus filled me with the same Holy Spirit that he was filled with? That I'm as free from sin as he was? That he's given me the ability to live beyond those things, not that don't exist? See, faith, faith is not denying the existence of a problem. You know, it's a, it annoys me when people are like... Um, you know, if I'm sick, I'll tell you I'm sick. But then you have some people, oh, don't say sick. You're going you're gonna to make it worse. Oh, don't say cancer. You're gonna, it's going to grow. Faith is speaking what God's word says. So I'm not going to deny if I'm sick. Hey, I told you, I had the shingles. I was sick. It hit me really hard. I'm not denying I had it. I'm just denying that thing influencing my life. Because I'm living from a better, higher, more real. Say this. It's a more real reality. It's a superior reality. Life in Christ. My life blank. My life is blank. If you could say one thing when you leave here today, my life is blank. Christ. Christ is my life. That's it. Now, what are you going to say? Well, that sounds too simple. It is simple. All right, Lord, if you don't want me to say this, don't show me where it's at. (laughs) Well, I guess that's the answer. Oh, I know where it's at. (laughs) Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said. So you can, I want you to remember that. But in order for him to bring it to your remembrance, guess where it had to be to start with? (laughs) It has to be, like, it doesn't say he'll, now he might give you a word of knowledge, he's God. He might give it to you. It might be one of those, oh, just, oh, that verse is for me. But typically he brings things to remembrance that you already have had in your memory at some point in time.
The word's got to get in you. I could care less if you know the address. Now, don't get mad at me just because I know the address. How many have been to my house? Good many of you. How many of you know the actual street address number that I live at? <laughs> How many know me? Pretty, other than just Sunday morning. See, it's not important that you know the address of my house, but you need to know the person in the house. God spoke that to me this morning. I was like, wow, that's really good, God. The address isn't as important as what knowing the person that wrote the word and knowing the word. Do you remember it says in John 1, it says, it says the word became flesh. The word became flesh. The eternal word of God became skin and bones. And then in John 6, Jesus said what? He says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The, get this. The word, the eternal word of God, became flesh. And then the word of God that became flesh, when he spoke, those words became spirit. So that now the word that was inspired by the spirit can once again become flesh. So you need to get the word in you until it actually becomes molecular. Like you need to be in the word of God so much, not so you can pass a Bible quiz. Could care less. Ooh, ooh I know the answer. Go home. You need to know the Word of God so that that Word of God gets in you so that when you're called upon to speak it, the Holy Spirit can bring it out. All right. Not sure who that was for. Where was I at? Simplicity, right? That's too simple. 2 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. Who's your husband? Jesus. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. See, a lot of you get stuck right there. It's stuck on your past. Do you know Jesus sees you as a chaste virgin, undefiled, unused, and valuable? That's how he sees you. Paul says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You're like, it's too simple. You know, isn't it good that God made it simple? Amen. Like, understanding that, like Phil and I were talking about the Trinity this morning. I understand it, but I don't understand it. Some things are so complicated in God's word. And that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. 
But he's made it really simple. It's real simple that Jesus came to earth as a man. It's real simple to know that he lived through everything we go through, that it says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, that he lived a perfect life, that he, he became sin because he had no sin. He took your sin so that you could have his righteousness. It's that simple. And now the rest of my Christian life becomes renewing my mind of the fact that I am righteous, that I'm seated in him, that I'm, he's in heavenly places, that I'm there with him. Because it matters. Like, why does it matter? You know, if it was all about going to heaven, you'd have just went the day you got saved. God's got a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Do you realize that, that you could go ask the same question, hey, fill in the blank, my life is blank, and that could be an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody? Oh, man, I understand. You know, don't, don't beat him over the head like I am beating you guys today. Have a little compassion. I don't have time to have compassion. You guys, you, you, you know me. I, I have some relational equity. I can get away with it. But, you know, you, you need to have the heart of Jesus for people. Say, hey, I understand. It's, a tough, it's tough out there. I understand you're, you're looking for a job. You don't have one. I understand your wife just left. Whatever it is. But let me tell you about a man that will never leave you. Let me tell you about somebody named Jehovah Jireh that will provide for you. Let me tell you about Jehovah Rapha that will heal you and is your healer. I know you have anxiety. Let me tell you about Jehovah Shalom. Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to read why it's important to understand this. He says this, I don't pray for these alone but also for those who would believe in me through their word. So he's not just praying this for the 12. Guess what? Jesus prayed for us. He prayed this for me and you. He says that they all may be one. Now, we're many, right? But how do we become one? Because just like I'm seated here, guess who else? You're there. You're there. You're, we're all there if you've accepted Jesus. It says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. Look at this. Do you think it matters that you understand who you are in Christ? Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. If your life isn't any different than the guy you work with, the girl you hang out with, what do you got to offer? If you're literally living from the same plane as a non-Christian, why would they want what you have? See, you need to start thinking, living, feeling, understanding from here so that it changes the way you live there so that when Jesus now, instead of coming to rescue you, you can help rescue somebody else because he'd rather do it through you than for you. Why does Paul say work out? Work out, your, not work for your salvation, Work it out. 
It's in here. To the degree that you renew your mind to this, He can release it. The rest of the next two verses say this. He says, In the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. You're like, well, that's, that glory is for when we go to heaven. Bull. You know why? Look at the next verse. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus says, this is for today. The same way that, Father, I'm in you, that you're in me, that I'm in them, and they're in me, and we're both in you. So that they can live as one, so they can understand who they are, so they can go out into the world and actually live different. Are you happy? Tell your face. Right? Oh, yeah, boy, I love the Lord. Oh, yeah. Boy, Jesus set me free. Praise God. It's just as bad as when I ask people, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. All right, be real. (laughs) Because he's got a purpose for you because there's a world that needs Jesus. There's a city right here that needs Jesus. See, if somebody doesn't want Jesus, it's because they have a distorted view of who he is. Because if they really knew who he was, if they really knew how much God loved them, if they really knew what life in Christ was all about, sign me up. But you haven't given them a reason to want to have it. All right, we're done. I could. I'm getting practice for Uganda. See, in Uganda, you got to preach an hour and a half. And it's like three a days, like football, three a days. Yeah. So I'm warming. This is a warm. I'm warming up for those those longer sessions. I'll try. To, I'll try to keep it shorter going forward. Heavenly perspective. Can, can has anybody? seen something new today they didn't see before? Has anybody seen something they already knew, but they're like, man, I forgot that? That's the you and the ah today, right? That's the you and the ah. Heavenly perspective, heavenly position, heavenly promise. We'll close with this, and then we're going to pray. Worship team, come on up. If you don't know Jesus, this is your time. This is your time to, to, to accept him, to give him your heart, to give him your life. Maybe you've done it before. Maybe you've accepted Jesus and you've just said, hey, I've, I've, been, living, I've been living way too long from an inferior reality. I need to get my mind renewed to what I really am in Jesus. Because not only should you have a heavenly perspective, not only do you have a heavenly position, but here's a heavenly promise. This isn't for today, but this is for tomorrow. Because Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus wants you to understand that relationship so you can tell others. But here he said in verse 4, he said this. He says, he says since you died, your life is in Christ. And then he says this. He says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him 
you'll appear with him in glory. That's a promise. You died with Christ. You were raised with Christ. You were made alive with Christ. You were seated with Christ. You're hidden with Christ in God. And one day, when he comes, it says when he appears, you're going to appear with him.